the difference between Kansas City barbecue and Texas barbecue is that really a big thing? Yeah, I think so. I do like Texas barbecue quite a bit. I eat it quite often. I will miss that, I guess. Of course, they have the the legendary hot chicken. Hot chicken. There you go. Is it legendary? I know everybody talks about it, but... Literally, the definition of legendary is remarkable enough for people to talk about it, and it becomes very well known. Yeah. It's now legendary. It's been on a podcast. Welcome to... Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, healthcare systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and have fun along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Reed Smith and Chris Boyer. And welcome to another week of Touchpoint. This is episode number 124. I'm Reed Smith, joined as always by Chris Boyer. Hey, Reed, you are on the road still. Is that fair to say? Yeah, well, I mean, we're not actively traveling. We're kind of uh, (laughs) at a stopping point, but we'll be back on the road. I guess as you hear this, uh, making our way across the country with a a short interlude. Is that the right way to say that? Interlude for a family vacation at the beach. I wasn't suggesting that you were actually driving as recording this podcast. I I guess there are some podcasts that do that, but we are definitely stationary right now. Well, I am behind the wheel of a vehicle currently, but not a moving vehicle. So anyway, (laughs) yes. Uh, Well, welcome back to another week. Uh, Quick plug, touchpoint.health is the website where you can reference uh, and pull up the show notes where we uh, put a lot of the links to the articles and studies and uh, different resources that we may mention on the show. So be sure to make your way over there. Please let the sponsors of this show uh, know that you heard about them on this very show. Uh, They make it possible for us to bring this to you each and every week. And then certainly rate, review, subscribe. Over on Apple Podcast or wherever you might be listening is uh, super helpful. You know, really makes it easier for other people to find the show, which is uh, what we would love to have happen. Absolutely. Well, Reed, before we jump into today's content, uh, which is a promises to be a good episode, one of those sponsors that you mentioned, why don't we just uh, take a little pause and hear from them? Using powerful AI driven algorithms, Loyal's Guide helps patients along every step of their journey, from choosing a doctor and finding the nearest location to signing up for an event or clinical trial. Whether you are using Guide's chatbot, live chat, or the powerful combination of both, Loyal's engaging platform integrates seamlessly into your system, maximizes efficiency, and improves patients' digital experience. To learn more or schedule a demo, visit them online at loyalhealth.com forward slash demo. That is loyalhealth.com forward slash demo. All right. So this episode uh, is another fun one. We've done this uh, a time or two before, but not quite as jam packed as maybe today. We've, we've covered different studies and reports and eBooks and white papers and different things that have come out given our commentary on those state of the union kind of stuff. We actually have three studies today uh, and we're going to reference just small portions of each of those. So we would encourage you again, we'll have links in the show notes, 
but encourage you to go check them out for yourself. A lot of great information that you can use within your organization or as you think about what you might want to do. Let's jump into the first one. Uh, Chris, this is one that you found, right? Uh, So first of all, Reed, we have three studies because it was just a jam-packed week. There were three studies that just came out, and they all kind of came out on top of each other. This one, the first one we're talking about is the Mary Meeker Internet Trends Study. For 2019, many of you in digital and digital marketing, Mary Meeker does an annual report out on internet trends, and it actually is probably one of the most robust report outs I've seen on various different things that are going on through digital, digital marketing, and just how digital is being applied throughout our lives. When we say that it's most comprehensive, we're talking 333 PowerPoint slides. (laughs) That is a lot. Man, that is a lot. Yeah, but you can scroll through them online. You can download it certainly if you'd like to pull some of this and uh, check it out for yourself. Uh, But we do have a couple of tidbits that we pulled and uh, thought it'd be interesting to kind of run through. Consider us like sort of the Reader's Digest of these studies, right? So we're going to give you Mm -hmm. sort of the synopsis, our takeaways, our observations. So one of the major observations I saw in this year's study, and it's been an ongoing trend year over year, in the 2019 report out, mobile is taking over in a very, very significant way. It's not only taking over digital, it's taking over virtually everything. Everybody's becoming more and more mobile as they're accessing various different things. In one of the slides, they were determining media time versus advertising spending. And what they found is that since 2010 to 2018, the flip in desktop to mobile has virtually reversed. And what I mean by that is back in 2010, about 25% of people were spending time on uh, desktops, whereas on mobile it was 8%. Well, now Desktop has dropped down to 18%, and mobile has jumped way up there to 33%, almost to the point of where TV uh, time spent in media is. Does that surprise you? I mean, it is surprising, I guess. But if you look at things that we've seen, so so again, further down in this, in this deck, uh, they talk about, and we've heard this before, but talking about the secondary screen, right? Like you're watching television and you got the iPad in front of you and, and that kind of thing. Well, now they're saying that mobile devices are becoming both the primary and secondary screen. 88% uh, they referenced use a second digital device while watching television, which is you know kind of what we just referenced. Uh, 71% look up content related to the content they are watching. I do that a lot, right? Like you're watching something and you do the whole like, uh, now what was she in? You know, and, you, and you, you're looking around and and then 41% message friends, family about the content that they're watching. Wow. If you think about the, the time spent, look at what some of these devices have added. Like, like on uh, an iOS device or like on your iPhone, you can do the screen time thing. Have you gone in and looked at that? Like how much time you're spending on your phone on a daily basis? Yeah, I get that report out every week, and I, I get sadly depressed when I think about all the time I spend <laughs> looking at the screen. I would love for people to tweet us or uh, on LinkedIn or something like that, like what the, what their highest number is uh, for screen time. I would just be curious, kind of where they hit, like what what is too much? Well, we're being very coy. We're not telling our own numbers. Let me tell you that I average I average about, I would say, three hours a day looking at my mobile device. How about oh, you? Oh, that's nothing. That's nothing. <laughs> that, that's a that's a light day for me. I have seen mine as high as uh, five hours, 
but typically it's around that three hour mark. I'm only counting one device here, Reed, because uh, it's just my phone, right? I also have my iPad, and I'm not counting that number because I turned that feature off of my iPad. I really, at times, I find myself like not only having the TV up in front of me, but I have the iPad right there where I can do some interactive stuff with the with what I'm watching, and then I use the phone to tweet or text people while I'm doing these other two screens. So it's like the not only the first screen, maybe the second and the third screen. Hey, as a side note, so if I've used my phone for five hours and only 18 minutes are classified as productivity, is that bad? <laughs> All right, let's let's move on down here. And to our point, or to your point earlier, you know, point one, that the, the takeover of mobile, the last thing really to say here is that they, they reference in the slide deck that mobile daily time surpasses television viewing in 2018. So again, what we're talking about here is people are spending time on their mobile devices more than they're than they're actually watching television. That is crazy. But you know what? There's so much great content now online that it makes complete sense. Uh, the second point here in this in this study is uh, that the internet is spurring the on-demand economy. On-demand economy. Have you heard that before? Yeah, absolutely. So that's, you know, most commonly or probably what most people would, would um, I guess, identify the most with is you think of things like Uber or Lyft. Also some on-demand payment type uh, systems, you know, you got Apple Pay certainly, but stuff like Vimeo or things like that where, you know, what you're doing is, you know, instantaneous and kind of on your schedule versus uh, having to use public transportation, for example, versus Uber. But it extends even further than just like Uber or Grubhub or, or the things that can deliver stuff to you and making those online payments. And of course, you know, we're not even talking about online commerce or e-commerce. This is now extending into things like where you can actually get on-demand workers. You can actually use the internet to get an extension of your workforce. And just recently, we were doing some usability testing of our website. And where do we go? We went to this online pool where we're able to pull people in to do some ad hoc testing of various different uh, UX and, and IA designs. But it goes even further than that, right? It goes into education. On-demand education is now becoming de facto. I, I remember years ago, it used to be lynda.com, and then the Khan Academy came around. Do you remember that, the Khan Academy? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I still use uh, – I use the Khan Academy occasionally with uh, – especially my oldest – son you think about things like math and things like that that's i think kind of where Khan academy started was on the math side of the equation if i remember right but uh there's a lot of great resources there and so things that you used to have to even pay for you know the point here is it's all this is driving costs down you know it's cheaper to take an uber than a, than a taxi for example well okay but now you can go to Khan academy for free or some of these other solutions or even just youtube and find out how do I change the air filter in the house or how do I solve this math problem or how do I take my blood pressure or you know, whatever it may be. And it's also impacting our industry because, you know, CME courses, CNE courses, uh, seminars that turn into webinars, all of these ways that we can actually communicate and interact with our community and our various stakeholders, it's all going online in an on-demand sort of way. How often do you register for a seminar knowing that you won't be able to make the seminar, but they're going to send you the recording afterwards so you can watch it on your time? Exactly. And, and you mentioned CMEs a minute ago. Peter Gailey, who's been on the show, uh, that's what their company does, right? I mean, they take 
content that you're already creating and package it in a way to for, for online learning and education for your organization. And so, uh, and there's others that do that, certainly. These were things you only saw in the non-healthcare space, right? So it was, you know, higher ed, even down to things like defensive driving, right? I mean, stuff that you would do online, you know, years ago. And so to think now that a physician or somebody in a clinical role could receive credit, if you will, for online learning is uh, is pretty interesting and cool. On-demand economy is entering our industry in very transformative, even disruptive ways. And we've talked about this often, Reed, about all these on-demand needs, like getting your health information at any point in time through your mobile device. Now you could track your health through your phone, through whatever, through multiple devices. You can get telemedicine. There's, In fact, there's one whole slide dedicated to how this consumer adoption of digital health tools are really being driven by this on-demand mentality. It's, it's even built into the devices without our choosing, right? I mean, again, we, we had the screen time discussion a minute ago on your iPhone. Well, so, you know, we have the smart home and the and the health tracking and things like that. So more and more of that is that connected world is uh, just becoming part of your daily life, whether you realize it or not. And think about this too. One of the one of the points that was brought forward in the study is that health networks are now embracing digital. Think about it: real time collaborative health networks of people across the world. And I was just participating in a, a workshop the other day where we were talking with people from Norway and Israel and the UK through a Zoom account, collaborating on trying to problem solve a, a particular digital health issue. So think about like that impact, what it's going to have on us as health systems. I mean, think about what that does for like clinical trials, for example, uh, or somewhere that real-time collection of data is advancing a, a bigger cause. That's really cool. And, and I think we'll continue to contribute to, and I'd love to talk to some physicians out there that, you know, see patients on a daily basis. I'm thinking of people like, you know, Justin Smith up at Cook Children's and, and different people that are using different pieces of technology. But you think about, you um, you know, them coming in with the information. Well, the next step is obviously that information comes in before they do. One last point about it, and then we'll hit the third observation. This on-demand economy is also driving patients' expectations. No surprise. Patients who call and make an appointment, they can wait an average of 24 days to get in to see the doctor. But when they book online, they're looking for 24 hours. That's significant. Yeah, the expectation. Absolutely. The third part, we, we alluded to it earlier, the third observation that we saw uh, when, um, was is that internet usage is becoming such a part of our lives that we as individuals are now actively trying to regulate and limit our usage. <laughs> are we? I don't know. Obviously, with the screen time, we talked about it earlier, but we are. And I mean, I do it with my kids, right? I mean, I've got apps in place that shut their stuff off at a certain time of day or only let them, you know, use certain things, certain amount of time during the day. But, you know, they talk and hear a lot about like, we're, we're consistently online, almost consistently, you know, I mean, it's hard to go get your hair cut. I mean, cause you feel the phone buzzing in your pocket or whatever and you think, you know, what am I missing? And we've heard this often where social media we're hearing about not only does that can potentially have a positive impact on your health, but the negative effects of being on social media, that not only that buzz in your pocket all the time, 
But, you know, the, the shifts in the polarization of content, people are starting to look at social media in a, in a very two-sided way. Both it's really good to connect with people, but also really, really bad on us in some cases. And you probably know some of these folks too, but you, you always have the people, uh, maybe it's during the summer, right? Where they say, okay, I'm going to take, you know, they post on Facebook. You know, I'm taking a break from Facebook for the summer. And I think what's interesting is the people that I've talked to that have done that, that, that I know well enough, not just, you know, I see them on Facebook, you know, occasionally, but I also see them in real life, is that, uh, you know, after a, a short period of time, a few days, they don't really miss it anymore. I, you know, I wonder a little bit about like, th- is at some point they just don't come back? <laughs> That's a little foreshadowing to, to another study that we're going to talk about in a little bit. Well, why don't we refer to that study after we take another quick break to hear from one of our sponsors? You care about simplifying the way your healthcare organization does business. And so do we. At Scorpion, Our mission is to empower our clients to focus on things that really matter by giving them a simple, powerful, effective suite of marketing solutions for their healthcare digital presence. To learn more, visit us online at scorpion.co. All right. So uh, we talked about this a little bit before the break. We talked about people taking breaks from Facebook and potentially never coming back, which leads nicely into this next study, which uh, one of our recent guests, Christopher Penn, uh, referenced, I think maybe in the, was it the last episode or two episodes ago? In any case, uh, it's an Edison research study called The Social Habit. So this is The Social Habit 2019. Again, we'll link to it in the show notes. And it goes through, you know, these are a lot of things around utilization there are insights here, certainly, but it's about an in-depth look in how people are using the platforms. Absolutely. Well, one of the first things they saw, Reed, is that overall, when you map all of the different social media usage, Facebook, YouTube, uh, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, all that, from 25 to 2016, social media usage was kind of moving up 7%. In fact, it was kind of a steady incline. But since 2016, we're noticing that usage is flatlined, which surprises me because there's more and more social content out there and new social networks, etc. But it seems like we as US citizens are not uh, adopting to all of these social channels as quickly. That is interesting. Are we running out of people? I mean, I don't think that's the case, right? It's funny because my son... Well, and my daughter, my, my two older kids, uh, but my son specifically just turned 12. And he really wants an Instagram account. And we haven't because uh, you have to be 13. It's funny because he only asks about Instagram, not Facebook or anything else. But I think we've seen, especially with Facebook, is, is that is the predominant one that's slowing down when you look at all of them. It's down nearly 10% over the last two years. Down. I mean, they're saying that there's an estimated 15 million fewer Facebook users in the U.S. today than just two years ago. That's an interesting one. I I will tell you, I personally probably use it less than I have historically on a a personal level. Professionally, obviously, I'm in it a lot for client pages and research and different things like that. But I'm, I'm not posting to it near as much as I probably once was. 
Well, I'm not either, Reed. And, and the reason why is because when I got my new iPhone, it's wanting to authenticate with me when I install the app. And it can never sends me the authentication code. So I've got Facebook <laughs> on my phone and I've never been able to get it connected. So I've just been purposely forced out of the network. Well, you know, it's probably not a bad thing, right? No, no. What's another uh, thing that we found? Yeah, so the second thing we're seeing here, women still comprise most social media brand users, although not by a large margin. So they still dominate things like Pinterest, but LinkedIn's going to skew a little more to the male side. You know, Twitter, uh, you know, I think is still around the 50-50 mark, you know, and so is YouTube and some of those. But overall, we're seeing, you know, women across all the demographics still be the, the predominant user. But, but again, it's not by a wide margin. And that's across all ages, too, because they did some categorization around the different age benchmarks, right? 25 to 45, 45 to 65, whatever. Right. And it's the same across all of those. And the other thing that's interesting, Reed, and we referred to this before in the, in the interview with Christopher Penn, that primarily it's white Caucasian users that are using these platforms. And primarily, these are employed. So their social media has a, almost a bit of a bias, it does. This is not, just a quick reminder here, this is has nothing to do with healthcare. These are just these platforms in general. And again, you can check out the study and they talk about how they did the actual survey and the interviews and things like that. But again, if you look at your hospital's Facebook page, it is going to skew, at least all the ones that I've seen, are going to skew towards the female side of the equation pretty heavily. And then if you also, if you flip through those tabs in your Facebook insights and look at who's engaging, it is skewed quite a bit to the, you know, 45 to 65 year old female. But yeah, they are biased. Yeah. You know, and that's, I think that was his point in the interview was to make sure you understand that you don't have a bias playing out in your advertising that you don't realize. Well, the only social media app that we're starting to see where there's more uh, racial diversity is WhatsApp, a messaging service. And we see that there's, you know, there are some, there's much more of a diverse audience that's actually using that. But that's just important to know. But the third observation read that um, we want to get into is they took a lot of time in the study to understand why people are not using Facebook as much. It's interesting because they, they note in here that, that a third of folks uh, are using it less often. This doesn't even count for the people that it's just flatlined, right? But it's a third have used it less. And 14%, which that's a big number when you're talking about uh, the amount of people using Facebook, but 14% have stopped altogether. Yeah, that's crazy. And here are the common reasons why they say, well, the, the first is they don't like rants or personal comments. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, isn't that what uh, Facebook's built on? Yeah. I don't know. Well, what did they what did they think was happening there anyway? I don't, I don't know. Um, the second is it's too negative. Okay. It's too political. Mm-hmm. And then privacy concerns. Those are the top four reasons. Aren't those all the same thing? <laughs> they, they tend to be all the same now, right? <laughs> no, I get it. I you know, you get tired of uh everybody, you know, on their high horse or Certainly, and I think obviously this last uh, cycle, this last presidential election cycle, uh, fueled a lot of the, uh, well, a lot of these, right? The, the personal comments are rants, the negativity, the too political, et cetera. The privacy, I think, is the one that probably kind of stands out on its uh, on its own, and, and you see that 
you know, if I see one more person post about, you know, Facebook does not have the right to, you know, <laughs> it's like that doesn't do anything. You can't just post an update anyway. But the privacy concern is real. But I'll be honest with you, uh, and we've talked about this before, privacy is an illusion. There, there is no, pri- there, there's no privacy. If you're on Facebook or you've been on Facebook, you know, that ship has sailed. There's no privacy, right? It's too late. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. You certainly can. And if you could, you would probably post about it on Facebook. (laughs) 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 But one last thing about that, though. Uh, So they actually broke down and told you they have different age bands. Ages 13 to 34 said the primary reason why they don't use Facebook, they enjoy other social media sites more. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ages 35 Mm -hmm. to 54 say it's too negative. And then ages 55 plus are the primary reason is concerns about privacy. So maybe there is a generational perspective on why they're not using it as much as they have. Okay, Reed, we're going to go really into depth in the interview when we talk with Ben Dillon about this next study, which is the 2019 Healthcare Digital Marketing Trends Survey by Geometric. Maybe we could uh, cover just three high-level insights and then let Ben kind of take it away from there. What do you think? Yeah, let's do that. So the first one we saw in here was that the person charged with guiding digital marketing tactics most likely lives in the marketing department. Not crazy. We've talked about that before. Uh, Outside of marketing, it's a little all over the place, but it's typically going to be housed in the marketing department. And the other thing, too, that he knows, and he gets in a little bit about how he started to measure this a little bit more nuanced in the interview, but what they found in the study is that there's a greater use of specialist functions within those digital marketing teams. So now they're starting to specialize more. SEO people, advertising people, inbound, outbound, analytics, et cetera. So the makeup of the digital marketing team is becoming more specialized. The second one, healthcare marketing teams are focused on content development, content marketing. Uh, that's not terribly surprising, I guess. But, you know, showing that leaders devote more resources towards project management, digital strategy, web development. I, I don't know that that's going to, you know, shock a lot of people, right? I mean, that, that sounds about right. But again, all organizations are a little bit different. So it's kind of hard to say uh, on some of this. Right. And he has a, he has, he describes in the interview the definitions of how he comes to what they call leaders versus laggards in the industry. This is self reported for sure. But one thing I found pretty interesting, Reed, is that the laggards appear to be most behind on mobile app development. And the organizations in the middle are spending the more, most time working on mobile app development. But the leaders are only focusing on digital strategy. So, what does that mean? That we should be doing strategy. before we think about tactics i love that idea that's really great yeah how about that okay one of the last observations is that more than 40 percent of respondents to the survey are spending 20 to 40 percent of their marketing budgets on digital now this year of course you know when you look about people that categorize themselves as leaders more than half of them are spending that amount the average amount is just slightly less than half are spending between 20 and 40 percent but those laggards are still spending, the majority of them are spending less than 20% of their marketing efforts on digital. Wow. I think it's a missed opportunity. Absolutely. And I, and I think we'll continue to see that number ratchet up. You know, it just, that's where we're spending money. I mean, that's just where the opportunities are, right? Right. 
Um, well, again, I think it's a, it's a great study. We encourage you to download it. Certainly, you know, this interview with Ben is is great, and he's a, a friend and obviously very involved with ShishMed through the years and has a lot of great things to say. Absolutely. So why don't we go ahead and uh, toss it over after this little break. We'll hear from Ben talking about how the study came came into fruition and some of the other interesting findings that they saw in the study. Are you struggling with online reputation management? Binary Health Analytics provides healthcare systems, hospitals, and physician practices a complete view into managing patient feedback from online ratings and reviews and especially surveys. It continuously mines feedback for sediment, uncovering timely and actionable insights. Its management tools help turn these insights into an opportunity to increase patient engagement, manage reputation, and improve patient experience. To learn more about Binary Health Analytics, visit Binary Fountain online at binaryfountain.com. That is binaryfountain.com. All right, welcome back to the Ask the Expert section of our podcast. And today, finally, I'm having a conversation with my good friend, Ben Dillon. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. It's it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. I say finally because you and I have talked about getting you on the show for almost two years Forever. now. Forever, yeah. And now we have an opportunity. We have a really good reason to have you on the show today. Yes. We'll get into that in just a second. But for those few people that are listening in that may not know who you are, can you tell them a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm uh, the Chief Strategy Officer for Genetric. Genetric's a full-service digital marketing agency based out of Iowa. We work exclusively within healthcare, mostly health system side of things, but a little bit of insurance, a little bit of this, a little bit of that outside of that as well. Uh, I'm also the immediate past president for Shushmed and the guy from our company who sits on, on the editorial advisory boards and all of those other things, and, you know, fingers and lots of stuff around the industry. You're like at virtually every conference. Yes. And that's great because that really shows that you really have a, a pulse on what's going on with our, our industry and, and that's really what we're going to be talking about. That's what we're going to dive into today. Absolutely. Because... You put out an, an well, it's I wouldn't say it's annual, but annual-ish, annual-ish yeah. st- uh, survey about digital in healthcare. It's our ninth survey that we've done over fourteen years. So okay, it was a year or two we missed, or you know we shifted from one time of year to the other, but nine nine times in fourteen years, um, and this is the third time that we've done it in partnership with eHealthcare Strategy and Trends. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, sort of helped us to to reach more folks, and and they've been a, a just a fantastic partner in terms of helping us take it up a notch here over the last uh, couple years as well. Uh, when we first started doing this, it would, you know, 2005, like, it was just hard to get information on what was going on out there. Like, nobody, nobody knew what anyone else was doing. We could, of course, see other people's websites. It was hard to know, how did you get there? What, what are the folks down the street spending? Am I staffing appropriately? Like, you know, what's working for other organizations and not working for other organizations? So it was just it was just an effort to get out there and start to get some data in this space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, now there's a lot more folks who are uh, gathering data. And so we continue to refine and evolve it. Uh, we try to make sure that we're doing different things than, than everyone else who's trying to collect data in this space. Continue to, to sort of fill out the picture for folks. So there's a lot of great data out there. But we, we still find that we can we can find places to still do something that's a little different, a little unique, um, and and really you know focus on how do we get information to people's hands that's actionable and not just interesting. 
I find it to be one of the few authoritative places where I can turn to to really get a benchmark of what's happening in our industry anyway, right? And you've dived into some really good data, and we're going to talk about some of the findings that you had. So now this is the ninth annual one. Ninth, ninth annual-ish, yeah. Ninth annual-ish one. Um, how many people participate in this survey this year? So we had 307 participants altogether, and we one of the things we do differently is we ask both uh, people within healthcare systems mm -hmm. as well as agency vendors. We've got a slightly different set of questions for them, uh, but some overlap, some places where sort of the insight is really comparing what, what those two sides of things are, are looking at. 267 uh, health system people, 40 uh, agency vendor folks. Oh, year. wow. So the biggest, the biggest group we've ever had, which we're really excited to have uh, enough data to really start to get in there and slice some things and, and still have it be relevant. Okay, well, why don't we just jump right to the goods here and uh, talk about some of the things that you found because uh, you had some interesting findings this year. We did, we did. And you know, one of the things that we do a little bit differently is that we're not just looking at, at what people are doing across the board. We, mm -hmm. we separate the audience out into leading organizations, organizations that are just keeping up, average organizations, and then organizations that are falling behind called the laggards. And this is all self-reported. We're not going and making evaluations of how people are doing, but people clearly sort of fall into, into those different groups. And so, you know, part of what we're looking at is what are the leaders doing differently from everyone else? Mm. This year as well, we, um, we did a bunch of research before the survey to see like, what's actually resonating with folks, what are they using, what's valuable. Uh, the biggest thing there was really about team size and structure. So we've always had like, you know, how big is your sort of core digital team? Mm -hmm. And uh, we got a lot of feedback this year that was telling us, you know, it's getting to be a harder and harder question to answer, right? Yeah. You know, it, used to, it used to be that those guys over there did digital. And then like, you know, the rest of the marketing department, PR, whatever, they, they were kind of doing their own thing. And there wasn't a huge amount of crossover in, in most organizations. And now that team that's sort of quote unquote digital they are only a small piece of what organizations are actually putting into all this digital effort. And, and so just sort of saying, how many people on your core digital team get really hard to answer? We totally rethought how we we're asking that question. The result is it, it turns out that there's a lot more people putting time and energy into digital these organizations sort of make it go than, than we were giving it credit for by just looking at who's sort of exclusively within that, that group that's all digital all the time. Yeah. It kind of supports that, that idea that like there's really... Digital marketing is just marketing, really. We right. all are using digital now as part of our lives. So is that what you're seeing in terms of some of the structures that, that they're, they're reporting on? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, we're seeing things where, where this stuff is living across a wide range of different places in the organization. There certainly is a role for, for sort of dedicated digital teams. Some group organizations have them, some don't. Um, but there's a lot of folks out of marketing, out of PR, out of communications, some out of IT. And of course, there's a lot of things that are uh, being done by outside partners as well within the mix. Um, looking just at sort of those inside uh, organizations, though, the leading organizations, when you look at all the FTEs that they're pulling from all over the place, it's, it's like 25 FTEs within the team wow. that makes these things go. Um, whereas those core digital teams last year, it was like 10, you know, yeah. 10 or 11. We, it's, it sort of opened us up to say, okay, as we look at this, this is probably a much more accurate representation of what's really going on in order to make mm -hmm. these things go. Are there job titles changing? Are there, is there new functionality? Why did it go from 10 to 25? Right. Well, I think we were just missing a lot of folks, okay. right? You know, so, so people would say, well, I've, I've got a digital team of three. And yes, there's there's four writers who spend half their time on digital over there, and there's, ah. you know there's some you know someone in IT who mostly just works on making sure this you know the, the servers are working, or whatever. And there's someone over here, and there's someone over there. And so, 
as we look at it now and we ask the question differently, they're now giving credit to all those people as being part of yeah. really the digital enterprise. Again, digital is part of what everyone's doing from marketing perspective, the communications perspective, the physician relations perspective. It makes sense that all of those different folks are represented. Certainly does. Are you seeing other trends in the organizational structure or sizes? Certainly, we're seeing some areas where we're, we're seeing some pretty significant growth. Content continues to be an area where we're seeing a, a lot of uh, new folks in there. Actually, the top the top job mm -hmm. uh, for, from a growth perspective this year is, is digital marketing. Um, you know, people doing PPC and social and, and all those sorts of mm -hmm. things. You know, maybe a bit because that's working. Right. right. I mean, I think, I think it's, it's a set of tactics that's working very well. And I think also we're seeing more energy dollar staffing being put there uh, just because the the world of like being able to get away with just doing organic is sort of <laughs> gone, right? I mean, we saw that with Facebook a few years ago, mm -hmm. you know, as we're looking at where Google's going, they're yeah. much more subtle about it. They're much, yeah. you know, they're not as in your face. They're not making big proclamations and then shutting the spigot down overnight. But mm -hmm. um, when you really look at the trends, the growth that they're seeing is very different than the growth that they're giving us, right? right. Um, they are very quietly taking most of the growth and keeping it for themselves in a, in a very different subtle way. And so there's there's lots of opportunity there, but it does mean that it's increasingly a pay-to-play world. And so you need uh, people in, you know, inter internal and external who uh, can help man manage all that. Can help navigate all that. Yeah. So um, they're obviously taking a better, better, a bigger chunk of the, the marketing dollars, so to speak, right? Yeah. Is, are we seeing that in a ship's going away from traditional to digital then? Yes, yeah, and so, and we saw that, uh, we, we asked some questions a little bit differently last year, and it was, it was very clear, hey, we're seeing a lot of dollars moving from traditional to digital. Mm -hmm. uh, we're continuing to see that this year, the pattern of dollars is a little bit different, um, but even in organizations where the overall marketing budget is going down, many, many of those organizations, the digital budgets continue to go up. Oh, wow. Um, and, you know, and likewise, if it's holding steady and you know, overall, we're seeing growth in the digital budget. So very, very few organizations have digital budgets that are shrinking. Right. Very, very few. And in most cases, when you dig into it, you can see they're in the midst of really big projects, you know, big overhauls of, of websites and things like that. So they've staffed up or they've, they've you know, gotten additional budget for, for a year or two to make that happen uh, without really the expectation that's going to be the level of investment. We talk about like there's a growth in digital marketing and obviously spend on all these channels, right? Right. Yeah. But there's also you're seeing capital investments in like the technologies that under underpinnings of the digital infrastructure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the tech stack is is definitely getting built out in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. um, although, again, interesting. There are things you would expect to see as side effects of that, right? Yeah. So, you know, we've seen a, a ton of CRM adoption in the last few years. Uh, we didn't go deep on that particular topic, uh, but you know we have certainly seen seen that uh, in, in some past surveys and, and just anecdotally with, with organizations we work with. When we look at what organizations say is important, uh, you know what what are sort of the goals? You have kind of the the top band, which is all about consumers and patients, right? Mm -hmm. You know, consumer awareness, consumer engagement, things like that. Uh, and then you've got a, a middle band, which is very financial, right? Mm -hmm. So revenue, ROI, uh, profitability, and then you've got like all the other audiences we have to talk to. Right? Oh, wow. <laughs> so it falls at the bottom. You know, so physicians and community and potential employees and, you know, they're, they're all they're all like lower down on really? the tiers. Very clearly, is if we define them as bands and just had them do the bands, like we wouldn't have gotten it more clear than the pattern we actually got. Um, but those that middle group, that financial group, we would think that with so many of these CRM implementations moving forward that we would be getting a lot better mm -hmm. at delivering financial results for the things we're doing from marketing perspective. Yeah. 
Uh, we do have some organizations where that's true, but that continues to be the biggest gap between like sort of the importance and the ability to demonstrate. Yeah. Um, and, and ROI in particular, very very wide gap between how important ROI is and the ability to demonstrate that. So, you know, e even though the tech stack is is coming along, some of the things that I think are, are high priorities within bringing some of those tools in continue to be a little bit. So I, I have my own theories as to why that might be, but what are your thoughts as to uh, why, why that's, and why is it so hard for us to really measure the financial contributions of what we do? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, we we, did, we dove deep on our eye this year, mm -hmm. and, and so we asked a couple of other questions on that. Uh, and, you know, for the folks who said, yes, we're measuring that, you know, we asked, like, what attribution models, yeah. and, uh, and it turns out a lot of folks don't totally understand attribution models, so I think we have to ask that question a little bit differently <laughs> next year. But um, uh, for those who didn't, and it was a much larger group who didn't, uh, we did ask, why are you not tracking ROI? And, and the, the biggest item from a large margin is, like, we just don't have the tools and infrastructure placed to do that. So that, you know, it continues to be one of those, like, we think we know how, but actually doing it is very painful. Yeah. Right? And, and even like some of the other kind of answers we got, you know, we need an easier way to do this. It takes too much time, right? So, like it all kind of in that saying, like if, if it just came out the other end of the system, like we, we would have that. Uh, the interesting thing to me though, is, is sort of the number two reason. The number two reason, and it was like a third of people responding, said, uh, nobody's asking us for it. Right. In this day and age, like saying, well, we don't measure ROI because nobody is forcing us to measure ROI. It, it, and that's sort of the reason. So, so you know, there are still certainly some some barriers, some, yeah. some technical barriers that make it that make it challenging. Um, but for for a group of organizations out there, at least part of the reason why they're not reporting this stuff or they're not they're not prioritizing this as something they spend their time on is because like nobody's actually holding them accountable on, on a financial perspective. Now, of course, you know, I think you and I have both been in organizations where the day that someone comes in and expects you to be able to justify yourself, it's Right. Kind of already too late to yeah. start assembling the numbers, <laughs> but nevertheless, you know, it is. It, so it continues to be a challenge out there uh, for a lot of different reasons. But that was a bit of a head scratcher for us. Yeah, yeah. Well, I always say measuring ROI is sort of the noblest of all pursuits <laughs> as a digital marketer. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it because it's hard. So interesting, interesting. Well, you, I think you may have validated some of my biases around <laughs> this. Um, what other things did you find? We saw an uptick this year, really amongst the leading organizations, for the importance of digital strategy. Mm -hmm. We look at this information lots of different ways. and The way we actually group people into these groups is we have 20 different functional areas, and that same list of 20 functional areas kind of follows us through the survey. So we ask, you know, are you ahead of your competition, about the same, falling behind? That's where we get our leader lagger groups. We ask about staffing and outsourcing, and who owns this function, a whole bunch of different stuff with that same set of functions. When we're looking at where are you ahead and where are you behind? Uh, certainly we look at like what's at the top of that list just in terms of overall rankings. But we also look again at the gaps between you know, the organizations that are ahead and the organizations that are behind. The areas where leaders are furthest ahead. Mm -hmm. Last year was all about content, right? Content marketing, content strategy, those were number one by pretty broad margin. This year, still really important, but they, they sort of fell into a number two spot behind digital strategy, yeah. right? So you know, I think leaders are finding ways to uh, sort of take the levers that make everything else they're doing more effective mm. and pulling hard on those levers. Mm. So content is one of those levers to be sure. If you've right. got a great content generating machine within your organization, you can put out good content every day, day in, day out. Um, it makes all the other things that we talk mm -hmm. about easier, right? You know, the, right. When you're talking about social, when you're talking about you know content marketing, when you're talking about 
you know, content hubs when you're talking about, you know, personalization and marketing automation, like all these things are just beasts that must be fed content constantly right. in order to work. If you've got a great content engine, it's, it is the time that raises all boats. It makes all those things easier. That said, like this year, like strategy kind of you know, percolated up. So you yeah. know, sort of, all right, we've been executing, we've been executing, we've been executing, and particularly for these leaders where it's like, okay, we've kind of done the set of things that hospitals are doing. What's next? Taking that step back and really starting to plan and planning beyond like, you know, one year window to say, okay, like where do we want to end up? What impact do we want to have on the organization? How are we going to get outside the sort of advertising side of, of you know, what we do as marketers within this digital realm? Um, they're really looking at um, laying out a bigger picture for how they're going to move forward as an organization. And, and, uh, and, and again, I think it's one of those things that uh, as they're getting into the new stuff, as they're plowing new ground, uh, it's critically important that they've thought through how that really moves the organization forward what transformations they need to go through as a marketing department, how this is one of those things that has to change how certain things happen operationally within your organization. It's a whole new set of challenges, and you, you need to have uh, a lot more thought, a lot more planning, a lot more stakeholder engagement involved in order to be successful. So right. we saw that this year really for the first time. Well, and digital strategy can be a number of things. Right? That's a kind a of a big things, umbrella yeah. of things. Did you ask about like what types of digital strategies they're they're looking into? We didn't dig into that one. Okay. We, again, unexpected. Sometimes yeah. you don't know where where right. to go, right? And so and so so that's it's high on the list of things that that we may include next year. You mentioned a content engine. If you know somebody that has a content engine, I would love <laughs> to buy one. So uh, fine. Keep my ears to the ground. Yeah, exactly. What else did you find in your study? Um. Well, I, I think the other big thing that mm -hmm. we found was we've been asking some questions about personalization the last few years, yeah. right? You, you like me, go to way too many conferences. It's been a drumbeat for a long time, and then in a lot of those sessions, you get in there and you sit down, and, and everyone on the panel sort of like, yeah, we just sort of started. Like, I feel yeah. like we're just start, starting to scratch the surface. Last year, when we asked this question, like, is personalization making your digital marketing better? we got a pretty negative response, like a, a shockingly negative response. A lot of people neutral, but a fair number of like disagree and, and strongly disagree. So we asked the question again this year, and it's still not an enthusiastic yes, but like, you know, like almost half of the folks answering it were at least at neutral with a strong bias towards agree over disagree. So, you know, we've, we've seen some real movement there, right? And personalization's hard. I think that's, you know, like if it was easy, we'd all be doing it, right? And I think a lot of the use cases that we see in travel and financial services and e-commerce and you know media for that matter like they don't translate one-to-one -one into the things we're doing in healthcare. we right. need to find different use cases we need to find different ways of approaching it um you know our site experiences are just very different than amazon right and so it's we can't really take what works for amazon and just slap it right on there and expect it to somehow radically change the experience for end users so uh, health systems are finding ways to make it work and are finding the things that are adding value, but it is taking time, it's taking energy. Um, and so we're seeing lots of organizations that are getting into it and now that they've got maybe a year or two years under their belt, they finally are feeling like it's moving the needle in a, in a more meaningful way. So at least we have a tepid response to personalization right. now, well, right? And, and again, it's, it, it wasn't <laughs> a, you know 80% you know, super positive. 
it, there there was a decent yeah. number of agrees, and forty percent agreed or something like that. About you know forty five percent were in the neutral category. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was such a big shift from what we saw last year, where the yeah. response was really negative. Like a third of people were in this strongly disagreed, strongly really? candidate category last year. Uh, it was such a big shift uh, that it, it really stood out. Like, yeah, well, I think that there is an opportunity for personalization in the space for sure. Right. Right. And you're right. It is looking at the use cases. And perhaps that's why there's this upsurge in digital strategy is to really sit back and say, well, we have all the ability to do it now. How do we see value from it, I suppose? Right. That's really fascinating. We're This is such a fascinating ecosystem that we're in. Yeah. Right. We're like a small part of the healthcare marketing ecosystem, but it seems to be growing, like you said, like you're seeing it grows. Yeah. There's so many other priorities that are really critical to get right before we start looking at how to optimize between one person and another person. Yeah. So, you know, having that strong foundation, having something that works pretty well for the bulk of users before you start trying to optimize. Um, you know, there are too many organizations that are in kind of a shaky place and haven't really figured out if they're telling the story the way they should and want to jump right to personalization. It's like, okay, that you need a really strong foundation. That is not the thing that's going to fix a lot of the undercurrent of problems that, that may be there in your digital presence. So these aren't panaceas for right. <laughs> for the work we do. Huh? You plug it in, you flip the switch, and magic bullet. The magic happens, yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I hear AI can do. Right, that is what AI is all about. Maybe <laughs> so, you do not have to do anything. Exactly. So I think that there's work. hope here for us yet. Yes. Now, um, is there anything else from your study that um, that you'd like to highlight? Well, there's, there's a lot of other things. And, and again, I'd, uh, we'll put a, a link mm-hmm. in the show notes. Yep. Lots of interesting stuff within there. Um, well, definitely, we'll link back to your website. And there's a lot of other great resources on your website. Okay. For people that want to find your website, what's the URL? It is geonetric.com, G-E-O-N-E-T-R-I-C. Okay, dot com. And definitely go to the resources. I've referenced a lot of your resources over the years. There's some really good stuff out there. And Ben, if people want to connect with you online, what's the best way for them to reach you online? Probably by Twitter. My Twitter handle is Bennett Geo, B-E-N-A-T-G-E-O. All right. And also I'll connect them to your LinkedIn if you're okay with that. Absolutely, yeah. Well, Ben, this has been a really great conversation. really appreciate it. Thank you for continuing to be part of our industry, helping not only our conferences get better, but serving our, our industry so we know where we're at and helping to push us forward. It's fun every year. Yeah, every year. absolutely. We'll have to have you on the show again, okay? Absolutely. It won't be two years. <laughs> Thanks again, Ben. Thank you. At HealthGrades, Better Health gets a head start. They help millions of consumers each month to find and schedule appointments with their provider of choice. With their scheduling solutions and advanced analytics applications, they partner with more than 500 hospitals across the country to cultivate new patient relationships, improve patient access, and build customer loyalty. To learn more, visit them online at healthgrades.com. That is healthgrades.com. All right. Thanks to Ben for all of his insights with that study. Really appreciate all the time and work that he's done over the years. And this study really reflects his commitment to making our industry better. So thanks again for all of the things that he found. Absolutely. So before we get out of here, a couple of things. Uh, Check the show notes if you want links to these studies and how to track down Ben or either, you know, other guests you've heard on the show. You've got a conference coming up, right? 
I do. The Strategic Marketing for Healthcare Conference in Chicago. Put a link in the show notes, but that I will be speaking there on July 31st. Awesome. Very, very cool. After that, I will be in Nashville, Tennessee, just after the Labor Day weekend, where is the ShishMed Connections 2019 conference at September 8th through the 11th again in Nashville. And then uh, what will both be up in Rochester, right? That's right. Down in Rochester, in my case, right? Um, you say up in Rochester at the 2019 Mayo Clinic Social Media Network Annual Conference. That's October 22nd and 23rd in Rochester, Minnesota. And then lastly, Healthcare Internet Conference, November 4th through the 6th in Orlando, Florida. That should be fun, too. That's right. Healthcare Internet Conference. So that's always a good one. Uh, again, November 4th through 6th, uh, like you said, in Orlando. Love for you to say hi or join us at any of those, or if you're going to be there, let us know. And uh, as we wrap this one up, what uh, recommendation do you have for today? Reed, I'm going to recommend a podcast that's called Gangster Capitalism. Any guesses oh, to boy. what it's about? Capitalism? Money? <laughs> yes. As a matter of fact, it is. <laughs> it is a podcast dedicated to the college admissions scandal. You heard oh, about wow. this right recently oh, yeah. in the news. Nice, nice. It's a six-part episode or six-part show that is getting into how parents have been rigging the system to get their kids into college. Gangster capitalism. It's a. It is interesting when the title came across my feed, and I was like, "What is that about?" And then when I found out what it's about, totally binged it. So. Highly recommend that show. I'm also recommending a podcast called Confronting O.J. Simpson. Ooh. It is done by the fine folks over at Wondery that did Dr. Death and a couple of other podcasts that are really good. But anyway, it's a series that's just kind of kicked off. There are a couple episodes in. And it's done by Kim Goldman, which is Ron Goldman's sister, who you may remember was the other victim along with Nicole Brown Simpson. So anyway, it's called Confronting O.J. Simpson, and it's her confronting kind of the last 25 years of her life. Looks to be interesting um, and uh, should be a good one. Another great episode. Uh, thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for sharing. It means a lot. Uh, please reach out to us. Let us hear, let us hear from you online and uh, in person if you're going to be at one of these upcoming conferences. So uh, for another great week of recording, that is Chris Boyer. I'm Reed Smith, and we will see you next time. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.